Hi everybody, Mike Wardrock from Encounter Church here, and thanks so much for tuning into our podcast. Our prayer is that through this podcast, you could have an encounter with Jesus that will change your life. And now get ready for an inspiring message from our teaching team. Hello everyone here from Encounter Church. Welcome along. It is great to have you with us. Um, Yeah, my name's Dave, and it's always such a privilege to be able to come and share with family. And that's what you guys are. Uh, That's what, you know, Mike and Jenny are. So many of you in this room, we just love you. I've known Jared since he was a wee lad. And uh, my wife basically grew up with you, really, didn't they? And did I teach you, Lisa? I think I may have. So there you go. Um, God's good. Amen. God's good. So we're coming today uh, to discuss a topic of sex. And as I thought about this topic, I actually, which is a bit interesting, but I started thinking about my grandpa. Um, How many of you used to love going to grandma and grandpa's house? Anyone here? Why did you love going to grandma and grandpa's? Food. Spoiled rotten. I used to love going to grandpa's house. We'd go to grandpa's and he would have just, you know, Viennetta ice cream that sort of Layered ice cream, chocolate ice cream. Cho- oh my goodness. We would, we would attack that. We'd put the cricket on. We'd just have food galore. He would spoil us rotten. But there was one thing that I especially loved about visiting Grandpa, except for the fact that I loved him as a human being because he's a wonderful man. But one thing I loved about going to Grandpa was he had a little drawer and that little drawer was full of lollipops. And what would happen would be, is as we were leaving, when dad would come to pick us up and it was time to leave grandpa's house, he would go to his little drawer of lollipops, he'd pull out a lollipop and he'd just try and sneak it into our pocket. Sometimes he would put money in our pocket. Those were the best days. (laughs) Most of the time he would take a little lollipop and he'd start sneaking into your pocket and he'd give you the little whisper. He's like, don't tell dad. And then you'd get in the car and because grandpa had given you the lollipop, you'd just unwrap it and you'd be sitting there in the car just with the lollipop in your mouth being like... What are you going to do about it? (laughs) That's my lollipop now. But every now and then, Dad would see Grandpa putting the lollipop in the pocket. And they would always have this, I would, as a child, I felt it was a heated exchange. Dad's reminded me since it actually wasn't that heated, it was just a bit of banter, a bit like what I have with him when he's spoiling my kids. But what they would do, I just remember sitting there and there would be, Grandpa would be like, oh, Bill, just let them have it. And he'd be like, they do not need that. You're not the one paying for their dentist bills. You're not the one trying to get them to go to bed tonight. He's like, don't do it. And he'd be like, oh, Bill. And it was like back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And there would be me, my brother and my sister would be standing there. There's Grandpa, there's Dad, and there's a lollipop. And we've got a question. We've got, a, we've got a question to answer, and that question is this. Who are we going to choose to listen to? Because we're in Grandpa's house, and so Grandpa's house, you know, if you're in Grandpa's house, you're under Grandpa's rules. Are you with me? Every house has different rules, and Grandpa's rules are, I just spoil you rotten. So in Grandpa's house, it was Grandpa's rules. So like, well, while I'm under Grandpa's house, I can do what Grandpa says I can do because it's his house and it's his rules. It's his roof. It's his rules. But within 10 steps... I'm no longer going to be under Grandpa's house. I'm going to be out in the garden with Dad. And then I'm going to be in the car with Dad. And I'm no longer, because I'm not in Grandpa's house, I'm no longer under Grandpa's rules. I'm back with Dad. And I'm under Dad's rules. And Dad's rules are very different from Grandpa's rules. And if I make a decision in Grandpa's house, 
that's contrary to the decision that dad would want me to make, then there will be consequences when I step back into dad's house. Life's a little bit like that, isn't it? We've all grown up in different houses with different rules. Everyone knows that there's the family with the cool parents where they let you get away with stuff. And then there's the strict parents, the strict house where you can't do anything. Different houses, different rules. And the reality is that at some point in time, we have to grow up and we have to choose what rules we're going to follow. At some point, we have to grow up. At some point as an adult, we have to look at the world in which we live and we have to choose what house we're going to live in. And the same is so true with with God. Where we're in a world at the moment that has declared its rules about sex and marriage and it's spoken them very, very loudly. Are you with me? Like there there is a prevailing voice from our world about the nature of sex, the nature of marriage, about the definition of sexuality, about what we can and can't do, should and shouldn't do. They've stated their rules. And they're stating it really, really loudly. But here's my suggestion to us, is just because one person's shouting doesn't mean the other person shouldn't be heard. And this world is shouting a particular message, but Dad has a different set of rules. There's a different house. And we can choose to be living in in this house, the house of the world, and just chasing after everything the world says, or we can actually take a moment to say, well, what's dad's rules? What does dad have to say about sex and marriage? And so today's a little bit awkward because we're hitting this topic that our world is so loud about. And because we, if we dare to speak against it, our world, our culture is saying that if you even speak anything contrary to the rules which the world has declared are true and right, then what you're declaring is hate speech. They're saying if you say anything contrary to what the world says we should do, then that's discrimination. But it's not. You're allowed to have a different opinion. Somewhere along the line, our world has lost the idea of agreeing to disagree. Somewhere along the line, our world has lost the capacity to actually have a conversation about different ideas and to argue and debate with integrity and respect and say, well, hang on, whose rules should we follow? You see, we come to a topic today where we see the chasm between Christianity and culture, perhaps at its greatest gap. This incredible divide between two things, and really, it's this this question of, well, whose rules should we follow? Who's right? Who gets to determine right from wrong? Who gets to determine what's right when it comes to sex and marriage? Who gets to define sexuality? Who gets to make these decisions? Who gets to say these things? And Christianity, the gospel, is, actually speaks really clearly. But the church, because we're so afraid of this you know, culture, we just don't speak against it very often. And we don't speak into it very often. And so there's this prevailing voice and the church is sitting there just almost shuddering in the corner, afraid to speak a message that God himself speaks very very loudly. When you read the pages of this incredible word, you cannot study this text and not encounter God's intentions for sex and marriage. 
And so what we're going to do today is we're going to have a look at God's intentions for sex and marriage. What I want to do today, really, really simply, is I just want to look at what are dad's rules, right? And you're an adult. That's the awesome thing about our God. You're an adult. You get to choose. Now, God doesn't force his way upon anyone. At the end of the day, as an adult, you scoop your own ice cream. You make your own decisions. You know, God will declare his rules. He'll say, hey, you can live in my house if you want to live in my house. If you want to live in my house, come and live in my house. But my house, my rules. But you've got every right as an adult to reject his house and reject his rules and go and live however the heck you want to live. That's our great God. It's a choice. But I want us to be very, very clear about what dad's rules are before we make that choice. Are you with me? So this is what we're going to do. We're going to have a look at this. We're going to, we're going to step into it. And we're going to go to Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13. So if you've got your Bible, open it up. If you haven't got your Bible, you should bring a Bible to church. Hebrews, and not just a phone, bring a Bible. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4, goes exactly like this. Marriage should be honoured by all, and the marriage bed kept pure. For God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. One simple verse. That's it. Do you see the chasm? Do you see the chasm between culture and... And Christianity, right there. Right there. What's God saying in this verse? And with a topic this huge, like how do we even begin to broach it? You know, someone's given me however many minutes to speak on this. How do I broach this in one message? How do you talk about this in, when it's just pervading our culture in every single way? You, know, you can't even wake up in the morning and go to your phone for more than 30 seconds and have something coming against you. Where do we begin? Well, I think we should follow Julie Andrews' advice. What did she say? Start from the very beginning. Why? Because it's a very good place to start. Amen? So that's what we're going to do. We are going to start from the very beginning. We're going to go to Genesis chapter 1. And here's what I want to just bring to our attention right now. What if, what if, what if, what if we took the stance that page 1 is true? What if we took this very logical scientifically rational and reasonable stance that page one is true. What if for one moment we actually looked at the Word of God and said, do you know what? Everything that I see around me, the person sitting right next to you, all of the incredible, intricate things of this world, what if this stuff didn't just come from an explosion of nothingness? What if the fact that our planet, which hangs on the perfect axis and spins at just the right rotation, just the perfect distance from this uncontrollable, incredible raging ball of fire, and it just happens to rotate around it at just the right distance, never too close that we burn up, never too far away from we, that we freeze. What if the fact that it also happens to hang in just the right solar system, so there's all the right gravitational pull in an infinite amount and mass of space, what if that didn't come 
from nothing creating something, but rather what if that exploded out of the mouth of a God who said, let there be? What if? And if we take that as true, let me ask you something. If this God, this God who brought to life all of this in its infinite, glorious, yet intimate design, an intricate design. Look at the person next to you for one second. Do me a favour. Don't be awkward. Don't be weird. But look in their eye. Just for a moment, tell me. Tell me that you don't, when you look at them, that you don't just see, if you look in their eye, you don't just see a hole in the eye that light happens to go in and it happens to bounce off the back of an eye, which happens to just send a message to the brain, which has, you know, randomly just decided that it's going to convert that into an image and then that's just programmed. Like, tell me you don't see more than just atoms colliding. There's something deeply ingrained in every human being that's pretty unique and pretty special, isn't there? Because maybe page one is true. And if page one is true and if God created all of that, then don't you think it stands to reason that he would want to reveal himself to his creations? Don't you think this designer would want to reveal the intention of his design? And don't you think that if he's a designer, he'd figure out a way to communicate his design to his people. And most likely, I think it seems logical and reasonable if he's a designer that he's probably going to put together a blueprint. Yeah? And don't you think that if sex is important to him as it is to us, and it's important to us, and sexuality is as important to him as it is to us, that he would let us know in his design? Don't you think he'd do that? And don't you think this designer who created us and knows us intimately knows that we stop reading after about page four? You with me? And we just start skimming. Don't you think if sex was so important, this designer, if he had a plan and a purpose in creating sex and sexuality, don't you think that he would actually find a way to reveal that in his blueprint right at the beginning so we didn't miss it? It's pretty amazing because when we go to this blueprint, when we go to his word, you are going to see something right here that our God has revealed his intentions for his design to his creation. And here's what we see from Genesis chapter 1. I want, you to sh- I want to show you something. We see opposites that go together. Look at the design. Heaven and earth, light and darkness, day and night, morning, evening, land and sea, sun, moon, plants, animals, opposites that go together. Opposites that go together. Opposites that go together. Opposites that go together. All through chapter 1. And what does he say at the end of it all? He says it's good. Opposites that go together. Opposites that go together. The goodness of God exists in opposites that go together. This God has designed things good, opposites that go together. So what does that mean for sex and marriage? Does that mean the bloodhound gang were right? You're like, oh, opposites that go together. You and me, baby, ain't nothing but mammals, so let's do it like they do in the Discovery Channel. You know, it's good. We're opposite. We go together, babe. Are you with me? Like, is that what that means? Opposites go together. Fantastic. He said it's good when he created male and female. He said it's very good. Let's go. Like, is that what we are? Is that what this means? Or how about we keep reading? Because I think if we keep reading, what you're going to realise is that you and me, baby, are so much more than mammals. Because let me ask you something. When was the last time you saw a monkey wearing jocks? When was the last time you saw a lion wearing lingerie? They don't. 
Why don't they? Because they don't need to. Because they're different from us, right? And we see this in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. You see, we're about to re- God's about to reveal something in His blueprint, in His design that says, you are more than just mammals. Yes, opposites that go together, but you're more than just mammals. Verse 7, Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. So we've got, you know, sun and moon, we've got day and night, we've got light and darkness, we've got plants, we've got all these opposites that go together and all of them come from nothing. God speaks, He speaks and they just appear and there's life. But humanity's different. You see, when He creates humanity, it says He created us and then we were just, there was just lifeless. It was just a form from the dust to the ground sitting there. So the flesh is there, but there's no life. And the difference between you and I and everything else God created is that we came to life when He breathed His Spirit into us. And as God breathes His Spirit into the flesh of humanity, something happens. And the word here, it says that He breathed into the nostrils the breath of life. That word in Hebrew is nefesh. Everyone say nefesh. And it literally translates to soul. It literally is the consciousness. It's the light behind the eyes. It is, you know, it's, it's the essence of life within us. So there's flesh and we're formless and empty. And then there's the Spirit of God who breathes into us. And as He breathes into us, the Spirit and the flesh collide, producing a soul. Something that no other creature on this planet has. You are not just a mammal. Here's what I want you to see. You've got to see this. Therefore, physical, spiritual, emotional, you actually can't separate them from the human existence. We love to say, oh, you know, that was a great spiritual moment or it's just a physical thing. We love to try and separate out spiritual and physical and emotional. You can't. When you are having an an emotional high, when your soul is happy, guess what happens to your physical features? It reveals happiness. You're watching a game of footy and something, your, your team's going well and you can't, you're like, yeah! Without even realising it, it just happens. I'm not allowed to go down there. It just happens. Like there's this deep connect. It's a part of the human experience. We are made in His image. Therefore, we are three in one. We are like God, but not God. There's something in us that is in His image. It's supposed to reveal something of His nature to the world, to everything around us. It, it, it points to the fact that we, there's something uniquely special about the way a human being is made, body, soul, spirit. And here's what that means. Because you can't separate those three, because those three are uniquely intertwined in the essence of what life is, sex is not an animalistic activity. Sex is a spiritual experience because of the very nature of how God has made us. Sex is a spiritual experience. You and me, baby, are so much more than mammals. And here's what we do. We, we move on. We move on to Genesis chapter 2, 20, verse 23. And you're going to see that because sex is a spiritual experience and because of the way that we are made in the image of God, sex has infinite, significant value. 
sexuality, the gift that God has given us, has extreme value. Let's go to chapter 2, verse 20, and we'll keep on reading. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs, and then he closed up the place with flesh. And then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man and he brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman for she was taken out of man. Do you, like, this is amazing. You see, woman is taken from man, from a man's side. Notice a woman is not taken from a man's foot. A woman is not to be trampled on. A woman is not to be lorded over. A woman is out of a man's side, side by side. It's symbiotic, this relationship. We're supposed to support one another, uphold one another. Likewise, a woman doesn't come from a man's head. She's not supposed to be lording herself over her man. The man is not supposed to just stoop down to the woman. No, it is a side by side relationship. And I, like, I can't help but think, you know, my wife, she's, she comes from my side. There's this idea that I'm supposed to protect her. I'm supposed to have my arm around her. I'm supposed to look after her in some physical way. And some of you are like, Dave, that is so sexist. This is the 21st century. I do not need a man to protect me. Well, I'm sorry if I offended you. I'm not trying to offend you. What I'm just saying is that the male bench press record is about 150 kilos heavier than the woman's. There's something in the way God has designed us that's different. Same but different. Opposites that go together. In the same way, the rib protects the heart. You with me? There's something about a woman whose job is to protect her husband, whose job is to just guard that heart of her man. Symbiotic relationships, side by side. You know what the Hebrew calls it when we have woman and man here? It says something really interesting. It's the, males, the, the word for male is ish. Everyone say ish. The word for woman is ish ah. Everyone say ish ah. Isn't that beautiful? Ish, isha, same but different. Opposites that go together. This is beautiful picture, even in the word, even in the language. That we belong side by side, we belong together. And in this place, in this relationship, it is very good. This is God's design. God's design. Ish and ish are. It's not just an animalistic behavior. This is something unique in all creation. And then we go to verse 24 and it says this. This is why. This is why. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. This is why. Because of the creative design of God. Because of ish and ish are. Because of the way that God has created us with the, with the nefesh that brings life because we're unique to everything. This is why, same but different, opposites that go together. This is why we should leave our mother and father and be united to our wife. Notice something right from the beginning. First and foremost, there is no mother and father at this point in time. We're gonna get to that in a second. God is putting in place a design, a plan. And he's showing right from the beginning here, uh, 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 Ish and Isha, male and female, that come together, they come together for marriage. Sex is for marriage. Between a male and a female. 
Don't get cross with me. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. This is what the Word of God says about the nature of sex. This is the designer's design. Sex is created for marriage. Ish and Isha. This is why, this is why a man should leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and they will become one flesh. So here's what I want to do real quick. Let's have a look at four key things that we see in Genesis 2 about the designer's design for sex and marriage. Is that all right? Four key things. Genesis 2, go back to the beginning. Go back to, you know, when Jesus was asked about sex in the Bible, where did he go? Genesis 2. You know, when Paul was asked about sex in the Bible, where did he go? Genesis 2. To the designer's design. Here's what you see. First and foremost, sex is the bonding together of a one one flesh relationship. This is why a man leaves his father and mother, is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. That word there, flesh, is the Greek word bios. You know where that comes from? Bios is biology. Life. You become one life. Friends, this is what I'm talking about with the soul. I know this is teaching, but you need to grab this because this is going to change the way that you view this. What we find is when a male and a female come together and you unite in sex, you are uniting not just physically, you are uniting spiritually, emotionally. Your soul is coming together. You are becoming one life, one bios. And this is what sex is supposed to do. It's supposed to be this unity, this union of a one flesh relationship that's supposed to knit you together and bond you together in this powerful way. When I talk about this with youth ministries, I get a pink piece of paper and a blue piece of paper. And I glue the blue piece of paper and I stick it next to the pink piece of paper. And you leave that for a while and what happens to it? It actually becomes one. Like you can't, you can't remove it without tearing some of the pink stuck onto the blue. You can't. And here's the really crazy thing, is scientists recently have discovered this in nature, it's called quantum entanglement. And what they're saying is that you can have two things that come together where you can no longer distinguish them as two entities, they're just one. Look it up, quantum entanglement, it's extraordinary. And what scientists are reeling is what, what they're finding is what God revealed 6,000 years ago in His Word. There's something where we come together and as one bios. This is, the, this is the intention of the designer's design for sex to knit us together as one. Sexuality is the superglue that binds one person to another. And this is why we see so much brokenness in our world because everyone has soul ties with everyone else. You are literally tying yourself together. Number two, sex leads to reproduction. Some of you, you're like, whoa. In Genesis 1, after he creates, in verse 28, he said, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Sex is supposed to lead to reproduction. But it's not just about reproduction in terms of producing children. It's actually about reproducing God's model for bringing about his purpose and plan and his design in creation. It's actually about establishing a unit and a means by which healthy dynamics of relationships will be taught from one generation to the next to the next. This is why it says, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. There is no father and mother at this point in time. It's just Adam and Eve. What's God doing? He's establishing a pattern. He's establishing the means by, like sex is going to produce families. 
and families will be, will be this bonded, fantastic unit where the truth of God is proclaimed and children are taught and raised in the way they should go. And then what's gonna happen after that is those children are gonna leave that unit and they're gonna cleave to a different unit and make their own. And this is God's pattern. This is His design for His people. That family is significant. Family is super important. You know, the nuclear family is God's intention for His design in creation. Number three, marriage is supposed to mirror God's love for His church. When you have a look at, like I said, in, in, in Paul's work, we see over again in Ephesians 5, Paul is making specific links to Genesis 2. And he starts talking about how Christ is the bridegroom and the church is the bride. He's showing something about God's intention. Marriage is supposed to point the world to what God has done to His church in Christ. That God, the second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ, left heaven, came and took on flesh and He bonded Himself to humanity. Do you know right now, the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, is seated at the right hand of the Father in resurrected flesh. No longer just spirit. He is eternally bound himself to humanity. It's extraordinary what he has done. And marriage is supposed to make us see that. It's supposed to point everyone to, whoa, look what God has done for us in Christ. He is the bridegroom and we are the bride. He has, he has knitted himself to us and he's drawn us into relationship with him. It is, this is God's design for sex. And the fourth thing, sex in marriage is supposed to produce shameless pleasure. Genesis 1.28, I just said it then. What's the very first thing God says to humanity when He creates them? Go, have a great time. <laughs> like the church has turned sex into this weird thing we're not allowed to talk about. It's, you know, I grew up like people were like, sex is icky, don't talk about it. That's not what God says. God's like, yeah. <laughs> Straight away. So how cool is it that God, the God of all creation, the first thing He says is like, go and have sex, guys. He's like, hey, Adam, 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 Adam. And Adam's just like, whoa. And he's like, uh, Eve. And she's just like, whoa. And God's like, hey, guys, guys, guys. And he's like, oh, stuff it. Go and have fun. I'll see you in half an hour. Maybe five minutes to start with. <laughs> Go and enjoy yourself. Go and have fun. I'll talk to you about faith and prayer later. And he, I love it because it says in this space that they were naked and unashamed. Just picture this for a second. There's God. There's Adam, nude. There's Eve, nude. They're having sex in the presence of God. And it's not awkward. They feel no shame. This is sex was created for shameless pleasure. God's a good God. He made it. He didn't like, He wasn't creating Adam and just being like, oh, jeepers, I've got a whole bunch of nerve endings. What am I going to do with them? I know, I'll chuck them down there and we'll see what happens. That's not what God did. He created this intentionally. He wanted it to feel good. He wanted it to be good. It is good. Sex is awesome. It's incredible. This is for shameless pleasure. And do you know, I'm getting sick of this. The whole world's talking about this idea of safe sex, right? 
Have safe sex. Have safe. There's nothing safe about sex. You can do stuff to try and stop yourself from having a baby or get an STD, but it's not safe. You can't unite your soul to another person's soul and expect it to be safe. This isn't safe. It's dangerous. Sex is nuclear fission, man. Like, sex is incredible. It's this incredible gift. It's God's marriage gift to us. And it's supposed to be good, but it's not safe. And in the right reactor, it'll light up a city. It's powerful. It's an extraordinary gift. This is God's design for sex. Now let me ask you something. If you're an adversary of God and you're an adversary of His creation and you see the power and the majesty of this gift that He has made, what's the one thing you're going to try and do? Counterfeit it. Distort it. Pollute it. You're trying to take it out of the reactor and turn it into a bomb. That same power that will light up a city can destroy the very city for which it was created to bless. And so we have to turn the page because when we look at this design that God has for marriage and sex, it's gone so skew-if, hasn't it? It's gone so skew-if. Why? Because if we go to chapter 3, from verse 1 through 7, we see this. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from the tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat from the tree in the garden, the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. You will surely not die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open, you will be like God knowing good from evil. And when the woman saw that the fruit, the fruit of the tree was good, circle, underline, for food and pleasing, circle, underline to the eye and desirable circle underline. For gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. The eyes of both of them were open and they realised they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Why did they sew fig leaves? Because now they felt shame. Just a few short verses ago, there's Adam, there's Eve, there's nudity, there's sex, and there's no shame. Now, this incredible gift that God had given is filled with shame. And it came from a liar who whispered into the garden's evening air, why not that fruit? Why not that fruit? It's good. It's pleasing. It's desirable. Why would a good God say that you can't entertain and engage pleasing desires? Why would a good God say, deny yourself? Why would a good God say, you can't do something that is so good? That's not a loving God. 
Why would He say no? Why would, he, why would He stop you from doing something you want to do? That's not a loving God. That's not a just God. That's certainly not a fair God. He's like, I know what you should do, Adam and Eve. Actually, here's what you should do. You should make your own rules. You should create your own rules. You should step out from the house of God and actually set your own rules of right and wrong. You should start to say, actually, no, you should, you should become your own God even and start to determine for yourself. This is the lie of the liar. And in this moment, as we stand here, we have Adam and Eve, you have a liar, you have the Lord, and you have a lollipop. And the question is, who will you listen to? And the question that is confronting Western civilization right now is who will you listen to when it comes to sex and sexuality and marriage? Who will we listen to? Will we listen to the Lord or will we listen to the liar? Will we listen to the Lord or will we listen to the liar? And the liar just simply whispers, why not that fruit? Why not that fruit? What's wrong with that fruit? And all we've got is the Lord saying no. Who will we listen to? And here's the interesting thing. As I think of this, I can't help but think of my six-year-old son, Benji, standing in the kitchen just yelling at me, why? Why, Dad? Why can't he stomping his foot? He's having a tantrum. He's yelling, why not? Why can't I? And I'm like, because you are six years old. And there's no way that you can fathom in your little mind, your finite little mind, what I'm trying to do as a dad in this moment. I'm trying to teach you lifelong principles and I'm going to hold you in good stead. So not when you're six, but you're 60, you're still walking in a healthy way. So no, you cannot have ice cream for dinner. <laughs> and we go back and forth. And sometimes I feel like my little son with God. And I'm like, why God? Why can't I have that fruit? I look at my two cousins who are gay and I'm like, why? What's wrong with that fruit? And all we're left with is a simple no. Because we come back to the text and we're like, well, why can't? What did God say about the fruit? He tells us that if we take it, we'll surely die. But Adam and Eve took the fruit and did they die? Looks like they kept on living. Looks like they had children. In fact, they may have lived for almost a thousand years. Who are we going to trust? The Lord or the liar? Because while they may not have died physically in this moment, they died spiritually. From this moment on, humanity is separated from the eternal union with God. And the earth is cursed. And all of a sudden, what was something that was so good, designed to bring shameless pleasure, is filling the world with shame. And in these moments, when we go, God, tell me why. Tell me why. Tell me why. Tell me why. And all we have is because it's not good for you. We're like, why? We're left with a simple thought what's the fruit of the fruit because I look at the fruit of the fruit 
I look at the fruit of the world's rules in the world's house and what I see is perversion. What I see is abuse. We love to think that slavery has been abolished. You know, slavery is at an higher than it has ever been in the history of the world. And it's because of sex. We see pornography running rampant in 78% of homes. 78% of homes. We have a bill before our parliament right now that is saying that you can abort a child up to full term. There's people in our world who are selling online infant sex dolls. Infant sex dolls. We see disease. We see shame. We see pain. We see the family unit which God created to be good and strong ripped into pieces. What's the fruit of the fruit? And we can stand before a holy God and we can say, why? This isn't fair. It's good and it's pleasing and it's desirable. And maybe you gave me these desires in the first place. Why can't I? And we can yell at Him. But if we look at the fruit of the fruit, let's look to the Father and let's say, has He ever actually let us down? We've been disappointed for sure. There's many times where I've asked God to do stuff and He hasn't come through in the way I wanted Him to come through. But has He ever let us down? Because when we go to this text in Hebrews 13 that we started with, if you go back to the beginning of Hebrews, the entire book of Hebrews is talking about what God has done for us in Christ. It's talking about His faithfulness. It's talking about the lengths that He went to to redeem us from the very curse that taking the fruit bought upon humanity. And so we go to Hebrews and we're like, this is why. This is why, because He's faithful. And He's just, and we can trust Him even when we don't understand, even when we feel like a six-year-old going, well, I don't get it, Lord. He's like, trust me. Look at the cross. Look at the fruit of my fruit. Look at what I have done in the world to redeem you. Look at what my love for you has done. What has this fruit done for you? All it's done is tried to kill, steal and destroy. This fruit has come that you might have life and life to the full. So when I say no, it's because I love you. Because I know what's good for you and I know it's hard and I know it's difficult and I, I know you wish you could just take the fruit, but he's saying, don't do it. Because I'm a good God and I know why I designed it the way I designed it. Because I'm the one who made it. And so as we close, we come to this, back to Hebrews 13, and we see something really interesting. Because it says that God is going to, the marriage bread should be kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. That's a verse we don't like to talk about very much, is it? But here's the interesting thing. You get to choose. Whose house are you going to be in? Because the reality is, when you look through the rest of Hebrews, everything he's just said, if you choose to be in God's house and you choose to come under his roof, he's already poured out that judgment upon his son. 
And every time we slip up, every time we struggle, every time we taste the fruit, every mistake we've made is covered in the atoning blood of the Lamb of God. And so we come into the house of God and we receive His grace and we receive His mercy. We receive His blessing because God has judged the sexually immoral. God has judged the adulterer on His own Son. And we get to walk in the life of the Son. And we get to come into that house and we say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, that your mercy is in you every morning. That as I wake up every morning, I get to run in freedom. I get to know that while that's there, I am saved. I am redeemed. I am being made new. As far as the East is from the West, so far as He removed our sins from us. As far as the East is from the West. He doesn't remember it. It's not there. It's gone, washed white as snow. And that's what happens when we come into the house of God. Virginity is restored. Completely restored in the house of God because of the sacrifice of the Son. Hallelujah! Amen? In God's house, He sets aside His rules and we have this great freedom that comes from knowing whom the Son sets free, they are free indeed and every chain is broken. But you get to choose. Because you can choose to come out of His house. You can say, I don't want that I want the fruit and the promise of God is that he will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterer there will be a reckoning who will you believe the Lord or the liar the Lord or the liar And when the enemy comes to whisper in our ears and he comes to say, well, what kind of a God would say that you should deny yourself? What kind of a God says that you can't have what you want? Well, actually we have some pretty amazing evidence because the kind of God who would do that is the kind of God who in being very nature, God would not consider equality with God something to be grasped. Is the kind of God who would rather make himself nothing and take on the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness being found in appearance as a man, humbling himself, becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Our God denied himself. Why? So that we could have life. So that we could walk in the freedom from the curse of sin and death. So when he bids us to come, We come to a high priest who is not unfamiliar with our weakness. He sees you. He knows you. He knows your struggle. He knows what you're going through. And he says, come, take my yoke upon you. He says, come, come into my house. Come into my house. Come walk in the freedom and forgiveness that I have bought for you. There's a Lord and there's a liar. Who will we listen to? When it comes to sex and marriage, who will we listen to? One is very, very loud. 
One is screaming on every platform to every person over and over and over again. And one says, come follow me. What's the fruit of the fruit? I love that idea that we can choose life. I love that idea that Joshua, as he stands on the precipice of a promise, boldly declares, you choose this day who you'll follow. But as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. My great encouragement to all of you in this place is choose life. Choose the Lord. Come under His rules. Come under His house. Because they are freeing. This world is saying, this is free, this is free, this is free. No, it's destruction and death. And they'll tell us that this is, why would you come under such tight, restrictive legalism? No, no, this is life. This is the designer's design for sex and marriage. Thanks so much for listening. I pray that you were able to hear from God in a fresh way today. We would love to hear from our listeners. To connect with us or to financially support the work of Encounter, please jump on our website, encounteradelaide.com.au. And if you enjoyed this podcast, don't forget to jump onto iTunes, Spotify, or your podcast provider and give us a rating and review. Or share this message on your social media accounts and tag us at Encounter Adelaide. God bless. Have an amazing week.